This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. When I walk in a room, no one can see me. I mean, my license says I'm five foot, but we'll just leave it at that. So, (laughs) and I just, because I'm so tiny, I feel very insecure. But what I've learned over the years is everyone is insecure. And if we go with that attitude and you walk up, chances are people are going to be relieved because they're not going to be alone. And as long as you don't talk about the weather, which will get you nowhere, you can actually have some, you know, interesting, meaningful conversations with people. Welcome to How To. I'm Carvel Wallace. When's the last time you had to make small talk? I mean, if you're anything like me, then you probably are cringing at the memory right now. I mean, I don't know what makes it so hard for me to do this, but I truly hate small talk. It's like I either don't want to talk to the person at all, or else I only want to talk about immediately heavy topics like death, heartbreak, childhood trauma. But as it turns out, small talk is actually kind of an important part of connecting with other people. It can put folks at ease and make them feel safe and comfortable. But when small talk stays small, you can end up getting stuck in the kind of awkward acquaintance phase, a connection purgatory. And that's where this week's listener finds herself. Hi, I'm B. I'm here because I'd love to get some ideas on how to talk to parents, um, fellow parents at the school gates. Now, we're not using B's real name because the topic is a little sensitive for her. You see, B and her husband and their six-year-old son moved from Manhattan to a small village outside of London. This fall, they enrolled their son into an equally small school. 
at pickup, at drop off, I just tend to feel a little bit awkward and tend to dread those moments a little bit. I've just been struggling personally with how to make conversation when you basically kind of passing one another um, twice a day on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. So have you tried to make small talk with people at the gates and have you tried to let's sort of like open that door? And, and if so, what has that been like? What has yeah. been your experience? I don't have very much social anxiety, but I just get stuck. They're kind of like chatting mm. with one another, like very, very intently. And I feel like, oh, they've got all this history that they're like, you know, talking about. So I don't have a clear point of entry there. And also there are those kind of normal kind of cultural differences in the way that Brits kind of talk to one another. I feel like there's a lot of kind of surface, superficial conversation. I'm sure when you get to know someone, you kind of do dig deeper, but there is none of that a direct kind of conversation and kind of wanting to know what's going on. I think people probably think I'm a little bit brash and a little bit too direct here. Um, also, I think people tend to be a little bit close um, to newer people. They're very outwardly nice and pleasant, but you really have to, I feel, get to know someone before they open up, before they kind of let you into their into their clique. I've now begun to avoid it. I kind of like go in at times when I know the kind of the crowd will be a little bit thinner. Might like, you know, call my own mother on the phone while I'm walking. So I'm not like, you know, having to kind of make that conversation. And I don't like that because I, I do want to get to know these people. They seem very nice. And also for the sake of my son, um, I'd like to yeah. kind of forge those connections. Yeah. Do you feel like you have a community right now where you live? Or do you feel somewhat, um, maybe, maybe isolated is the word? No, you know, uh, I have tried, I have worked really, really hard over these last three years to rebuild a community because I used to live here. So I think at this point, I have more people in my network here than I ever did in New York City, which is mm -hmm, great. It's mm -hmm. just this school community that still kind of remains elusive <laughs> to me, I feel. I yeah. I okay. Yeah. Let's talk about what your ideal scenario is. Imagine that everything that we do in this conversation completely works and transforms your situation. What does it look like? Describe to me, you pull up to the school gates, you walk up, what happens? How do people respond? What do you like and how do you feel after it's over? Oh my God. I would love to be able to line up at pickup time and like find someone that I see and I recognize and I just start talking to them about, about our kids um, or about something that's happened in school, share something that's useful to them, um, ask questions and kind of just learn more about them, about their child. So I think I'd like to kind of have some simple points of entry into quick but meaningful conversations and not dread seeing someone <laughs> that I might recognize. So this is probably something that a lot of us can relate to. Our lives are filled with background people. The regular at the coffee shop, the girl at the gym, that coworker that you kind of chat with every day. All people that could mean more to you if you only took the awkward, half-hearted small talk and turned it somehow into a meaningful conversation. So today on the show, we're bringing in someone who literally wrote the book on the art of connecting. She's going to help B and all of us kill it at small talk. Stay with us. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. 
You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. We're back, and we're talking about why small talk is actually a bigger deal than you might think, and how to do it so well that you never have to fear it again. I'm Susan McPherson, she, her pronouns, and I'm the founder and CEO of a social impact consulting company, McPherson Strategies, and the author of The Lost Art of Connecting. How did you become a person who goes around teaching people how to talk to people? (laughs) Well, back in the late 60s, early 70s, every morning at the breakfast table, my parents, my father was a professor at a women's college for 40 years, and my mother worked in public relations for um, several public television stations. But every morning, Mm -hmm. I would have to vie for real estate for my bowl of cereal or cinnamon toast because they would have the five local newspapers, plus yesterday's or the day before's New York Times or Boston Globe. They would sit there with their Mm -hmm. um, razor blade or scissors, clipping and cutting, going articles that made them think of people, going to their respective manual typewriters, and literally putting probably 10 to 15 clips out into the mail every day. And I thought, I thought everybody's parents did that. But what I learned from, (laughs) seriously, but what I learned from that is this real intentionality in thinking about others and more importantly, letting them know that you were thinking of them. Mm. So as life proceeded ahead and different forms of technology, the, the fax machine, then the internet, then social media, I began to be able to do what they were doing, but obviously with much more efficiency. But the one thing I didn't mm-hmm. forget was the importance of that intentionality. And I think the title of my book is The Lost Art of Connecting. We are more connected than we've ever been in human history, Mm -hmm. but we are disconnected Mm -hmm. from one another. And the reason I believe is because of this notion of lack of intentionality. You wrote a book about creating business relationships, and it seems to me that so many of the lessons can be applied to other relationships outside of the workplace. So what similarities do you see between sort of how to build a relationship within the workplace and how we build relationships socially? They're 99% the same. Our lives are so infiltrated and they bleed together. And I years ago decided it was complicated enough to be one person. Why did I want to be two people? So I realized Mm. I'm going to try to be the same. I also, the underlying theme of everything in my book is when we meet people, thinking about our superpowers and thinking about how we can be supportive and helpful to others, which 
I assure you, is not about not taking the oxygen mask first, but it's more about what you bring to the table. You just heard B's whole story. So what are your first thoughts? Wow. Well, I think number one, B, you're a beautiful, caring, kind, compassionate human being. And I think you've gotten caught up in a loop where somehow there's something in your brain that is saying to you, oh boy, these people don't want me to be in their circles. But everything you said explaining the situation about your life there tells me that I think this is, and I don't mean to discount your feelings because they're a thousand percent real, but clearly you are beloved by people who know you. And I, you know, in 1985, bazillion years ago when the dinosaurs were roaming the planet, I lived a year abroad in Denmark in college and I lived with a Danish family. And my Danish parents said to me, you Americans, you just fill the air and talk about weather just to make sure there's conversation. And I remember I was 21. I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then from that day forward, when I came back to the U.S. and started my career and 30 plus years later of conference calls and Zooms, guess what everybody starts everything with? Weather. The weather. So the beautiful thing is you come from a world where that's not the case. And I think if we can help you through this conversation, think of ways to engage. All it's going to take is one or two and you will be fine. Now, one of the components in my book was to go from FOMO to JOMO. And JOMO was not joy of missing out. It was the joy of meeting others. And the way to do that is, pardon the expression, take charge and become the host and become the gatherer. So I was thinking one thing you could potentially do, and maybe do it as a couple at a time, but if that's too scary, one by one, invite each of these persons to a tea or a coffee or host a gathering at your home. Now, granted, not everyone will come, and there'll be some people who are just, you know, those types of people that don't want to engage, and that's okay. But I think by doing that and thinking about your superpowers and the beauty that you bring into the world, I think something like that might just break the the, the block mm. that you have created. That's so interesting. You know, I, I relate a lot to B's conundrum. I often enter into interactions feeling like, Oh, no one would talk to me. I'm I'm so boring. I'm weird. Like I should just like save these people the pressure of having to interact with me. And rarely do I think about what I might be offering to the situation. And like I wonder, B, what feelings come up for you when you hear that? My initial feeling is how very perceptive Susan is, honestly, as an individual. I mean, I did not imagine in a million years that your very first piece of advice would be that, that have like organize something, um, get people over because I've been kind of playing with this idea in my head for the last six, six months. I even looked into, um, setting up like, um, uh, you know, a kitty first aid session for parents. Cause I feel like I want to do some kind yeah. of first aid CPR training. And I was like, I'm sure other parents want to do that too. So maybe I'll like set up like some wine and some nibbles. So I'm, I haven't done it. Um, but I keep coming back to that idea, but you have, Hearing you say it bolsters that kind of initial instinct that maybe that's, and just as you said, maybe just a couple of people initially and, and then more, maybe it's like a book club or maybe it's something a little bit less commitmenty, but yeah, it's a, I love that you went to that first. 
I wouldn't have suggested it if you didn't talk about how you are connected and, you know, if you were painfully shy, but I'm not getting that sense. Okay, so it looks like we got our first couple insights. First of all, the foundation of this entire endeavor is built on intentionality. Start looking at the mundane moments as opportunities. Reach out to people you normally wouldn't. Put effort into keeping up connections. Second, let's remember that there is joy in meeting another person. We can look at it as an opportunity to expand our understanding of life rather than just a tedious chore. Small talk works best with that attitude, and it also works best when there's some shared touch point, a place of common ground that's comfortable, which unfortunately is why weather makes such a frequent appearance. But in order to create something more interesting, you probably need to learn the art of asking evocative questions. I really like to go with like, you know, what was the last great podcast you listened to? Or what's your favorite TV show? Or what movie have you seen? And leave them open-ended. Mm-hmm. And just a side note, when you ask people how they are, don't ask them how they are, because chances are they're just going to say <laughs> meh or good. And let's borrow, I like to borrow from Brene Brown, where she'll say, in you know, three to five words, tell me how you're feeling today. So that you can engage. But I love to go with, you know, if you could solve one problem in the world tomorrow, what would it be? And if and how? Mm. Or if you could pick anywhere to go on vacation this summer and money wasn't an issue, where would you go? These are windows into people's spirits without being mm-hmm. incredibly nosy or potentially, you know, harmful in any way. But they do give you a lot more. And, you know, then there's icebreakers at events. I mean, I was recently at one where they went around and said pie or cake. And I was like, guys, let's, could we be a little more creative? And I said, what about what was your favorite food as a child? And the stories mm. that people shared about their grandmothers or their uncles or, you know, the packaging of, and you realize, you know, everybody had a version of like spaghetti and meatballs, you know, or whatever, like, Mm -hmm. but, but again, it helped us see the commonalities. Now, obviously B, you're not going to walk up to everybody in this line of children and be like, Hey, what's your favorite food? But I just meant, you know, once you get back, if you can bring people together, I mean, I would at least in the first, since you all share the child, you know, children is talk about what the plans are for their kids next summer. And, you know, you're, Mm -hmm. since you're Mm -hmm. fairly new to the community, you want to get a better sense of what are the options. Now, I am childless, so I, this is where I don't have a lot of expertise, but for all my friends that have children, like 80% of their conversation is about their kids. Sadly, yes. Sadly, it's it's true, but it's reality. (laughs) But somehow I end up being able to be friends with them. One thing I've learned in interviewing people is that I always try to find what people like to talk about. And like this example of favorite food is a good one, because if you ask an open-ended question, people will start to, they will take that in the direction they want to talk about. So if you say, tell me about your grandmother. Well, you don't know that they want to talk about their grandmother. But if you say, what's your favorite food? And they say, well, my grandmother made this thing. Then that indicates that they actually want to talk about that. Um, You've been mentioning these really kind of eclectic, I think, and esoteric <laughs> questions, right? <laughs> I wouldn't dare kind of ask those questions mm-hmm. in, in line sure. at the gate. However, yeah, no. you have given me so many good ideas on how to have conversations at birthday parties. Because yeah. at this mm. point, my block is so very strong that I've told my husband that he's in charge of the birthday parties. Oh. So we've had like in the last six, last six months that we've been at the school or so, um, we've probably been invited to about six well 
my son's been invited about six birthday parties. Um, and my husband, because he's the ex, he's the extra, he's quite happy to take him. And I just like stay at home and read a book. I'm just like fine doing that, <laughs> but I'm missing out right on this opportunity to get to know yeah. some of these parents. So I actually love the, your questions. Thank you for that. All right. So here's our next takeaway. There actually is no shame in preparation. A few standard starter questions can put you at ease and elicit meaningful responses. Often they'll be open-ended. They can lean on a point of connection. It could even be asking for help or advice in some way. You know, people like to feel seen. They like to feel helpful. And we've learned that showing a little interest or vulnerability can go a long way. And if someone doesn't answer your bid for connection, that's okay. They probably weren't your person in the first place. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to dive deeper into that frightening word, rejection. Plus, Susan is going to explain how to make small talk turn into something bigger. Stay with us. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We're back with B, our listener who wants to get out of her small talk rut, and Susan McPherson, the author of The Lost Art of Connecting. Before the break, we were talking about getting people to open up with interesting questions by showing vulnerability. Well, the downside of that is that inevitably you run into someone who shuts you down. I mean, I always remind myself there's you know close to 10 billion people on this planet, but somehow I always focus on those two people that don't like me, right? And it's like so ridiculous because they're so, so I do think, you know, if if you do make the effort, if you do let people Mm. know just a little bit that you're feeling vulnerable, you will see immediately who is responsive and then you can start there and bring people together. There's no failure here, right? It's not like you're going to do this Mm. and then everybody's going to be like, oh, here she comes. No, right, right, I mean. right. Yeah, I don't want to be that person either. Yeah. We're like, oh God, here no, she is. No, because that that is sense. that's no. the monkeys in your brain. Okay, I am not a right. psychologist <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, but I, in my short interactions with you, I can a thousand. I will come and you know what? I will fly to your village in the UK and accompany you and help you make friends because this is you know there's absolutely no great. reason. They would love you. Yeah. Well. What- <laughs> One interesting thing that happens for me is I decide in my own yeah. head that everyone's like, oh, here's this fucking guy. <laughs> like before, like in the absence of any other information, right. that's my starting point is that everyone's like, oh, here's this fucking guy. And so <laughs> what I find is that in order to combat that, I actually have to go and have a conversation with someone. And then it's a pleasant exchange. We crack a few jokes, blah, blah, blah. And then I leave and I go, huh, that person doesn't hate me. And then I'm like, maybe, maybe this thing in my head was just made up. Uh, I'm wondering if you relate to that at all, B. 
you know, that's that's really funny. And I would be thinking about the next time I have to go and see that person later on that afternoon. Because, <laughs> because literally, it's like twice a day that you're seeing the same 50 faces because it's yeah. such a small school. If it was a bigger school, I would be getting lost in the crowd, right? But here, you're literally seeing the same people twice a day. Well, I imagine coming from New York, which is a place where you can hide. Yeah. Because there are, yes. you know, many, many, many millions of people here. Yes. It, that must be one of the shocks, too, is like yeah. you can't really fade into the background when you're in a place that small. You know what? That's so true. It's that small town kind of life now that we're yeah. kind of adjusting to. So in a sense, that it sounds like that forces you to get out of your, what is a, a little bit of a comfort zone for you, which is just to kind of hang back and blend in with the wallpaper. Yeah that you're not able to do that here. And that's no. maybe part of the discomfort. I wonder if that rings true for you. I think that you've hit the nail on the head. No, I get it. But I think this is where it, it makes sense for you to do the outreach and start inviting people. You know, it, it, there is something that. about being the convener that gives you, I hate this word, but a little bit of power, which I think you're feeling like you're lacking in this situation. Susan, sometimes do you talk about uh, in your work about like sort of keeping this kind of old politicians trick, which I realize probably comes off a little smarmy, but <laughs> could be useful. This this old trick of like keeping track of people's interests and who they are and what's important to them. Like, is that something that you... I, that is my forte. I, I hope to mm-hmm. God it's not swarmy. Um, in, every, <laughs> in, in my um, ridiculous Rolodex, although it's not a Rolodex anymore, I always, I always add a photo so that I can remember the person. Uh-huh. And then I add a little bit about something unique about that person or something mm. that they said. So that when I follow up, it isn't like, oh, Carvel, it was nice meeting you on the podcast. It would be, oh, Carvel, I remember Mm -hmm. how great your smile was, right? Or B, next time I come to the UK, I got to look you up. You know, like I would, I would try to make something, you know, and I would ask about your Mm -hmm. son. So just something. And I realized for your listeners, they might be like, who the hell has time? And this is not something, you know, I do every second of every day. But when I do meet new people, I do really make that conscious effort so that a year from now or even six months from now, when I, come across them on a social post or something, it sparks something in my mind. And I have learned over the years, and one of the key tenets in in the book is when you can show somebody that you not only saw them, but heard them and listened to them, that is the great, one of the greatest gifts we can give one another, right? Mm. Because it shows we cared. And that's where your insightful questions come in. Yes. So you kind of garner some mm -hmm. of that in, you know, intelligence on that person. In my book, there's a methodology called gather, ask, do. And the ask section is all about asking the meaningful questions of others to find out what their hopes and dreams are. And if you listen carefully, you can get to the do phase. That's true. I feel like in order to do that successfully, I probably have to get a little bit clued into the existing I don't want to say politics, but I want to say dynamics mm. of the group. Because mm. like I said, a lot of these l- ladies because at the moment it is mums more than dads know one another from like uh, their kids preschool for example so i don't know which three would be like a good so i'm not sure like am i invite them all am i just invite them all yeah 30 mums (laughs) 30 people 15 will say yes seven will show yeah. Seriously. I mean, yeah. you know, and then you have seven. Yeah. And and I am of the mm. school, as scary as it may be, as you say, you know what? I'm new. 
I'm just learning. I'm trying to figure out how, you know, how, uh, more about this community. And I'd love to, and I, again, I, I don't want to assume budgets or anything, but, you know, I'd love to treat you all to, you know, cake and coffee or, you know, whatever. And the ones who say no, yeah. you know what? The hell with them. Yeah, I guess my fear is being valuable enough or kind of uh, being able to add enough value to be able to comfortably and um, seamlessly enter into the margins of a circle that exists currently and just knowing how to do that. Um, and I think that's what you guys are helping me with. Initially in your question, you talked a little bit about almost the fact that like there was a concern maybe on the other side of like being dragged into long conversations, like spending an hour at the school gate afterwards. After You know what I mean? Like you feel like you maybe would like to get in there, have your conversation and get out. Is there some fear about I don't want to say commitment, but something like that, like a feeling of like, oh, once I start like hosting and being this social person, now I'm responsible for that day in and day out, morning and night. Who has the time? <laughs> is that, does yes. that it all resonate? <laughs> yes, it's going to be so much harder for me to kind of fade into the background after I've played host to 30 people. Yeah. In my house, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be, you know, coming in as a social butterfly on a daily basis. Uh -huh. So yeah. I think that absolutely resonates. Fascinating. Uh, not the long, meaningful conversations, but just I'm, if I'm putting myself out there, and maybe that's the reason I haven't done it yet, is uh -huh. because the minute oh. I do that, it's like, oh, hi, hi. Oh, you. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I'd, I want to do that, you know, twice a day either. So I don't know. That yeah, you hit the nail on the head there again, Carmel. <laughs> Susan, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts about that aspect? Well, I feel like we've uncovered Pandora's box now. <laughs> <laughs> this is all a block, if that's the case. So uh -huh. wow. yeah, wow. yeah, mm. yeah. So, but I do wonder about sort of like, and this maybe gets a little more technical. It's like keeping conversations honest and useful, but also short. Mm. Having like managing boundaries around it. I know like for me, the word boundaries came up B when you were talking, because I always think about like, if I, my fear is actually that I, not only that I won't be accepted, but that I won't be able to say no once mm. I am accepted. And yeah. so uh, I wonder if like, if this is a, a sort of like more subtle art of conversation thing, Susan, maybe, mm -hmm. how do we have conversations that are meaningful to the point, short, but also extract ourselves gracefully? We're direct. We say we have to go now. I think over like over our lifetimes, we've built up so many artificial like scenarios in our head as opposed to you say to somebody, I have to get home. I have, you know, the da 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 going on. This was wonderful. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow or let's finish this discussion tomorrow. I, I, I hate to be, but, you know, a former coach of mine said we end up just wasting so much time worrying about the what is going to be said when we just, if we say it, and we say it with kindness, of course, okay? And again, we are, you know, the next day we say, you know, something about the previous conversation so it doesn't appear that we completely forgot about what we were talking about. But I think it's just being human. And I, I find when someone's direct to me that actually that is a lot better than sitting there pretending to listen and thinking about, you know, the, 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 the steak they're going to order for dinner. 
I'm going to have to think about this. <laughs> well, we're not even there yet because we haven't gotten into the point of conversation. If we're already thinking about how we're going to end a conversation, then I think we have to start another hour. <laughs> I'm going to have I'm going to have to wrestle with myself about do I want to be more visible or less visible? I think that's I think that's where that's a, yeah. B, I feel like there's probably a lot of people that are in your situation right now. I mean, I'm, my kids are 20 and 18, but I did drop off, you know, for many years. Mm. And I had a pretty similar experience to you. Just like, oh, this is awkward. I don't really feel like making eye contact with people. But, oh, no, this person has, like, cornered me. Oh, no, I should probably, like, open up and I haven't had my coffee. Just whatever. Yeah. And I realized that now I know that all the parents are going through that. I'm wondering if you have any advice for people who are going through that right now, things that you've learned. You're asking me? <laughs> yeah, I'm asking you. I guess my advice, and one thing that has worked for me, maybe not with the school community, but um, outside of that, with this network that I've worked really hard to kind of rebuild here in England, is, I think it's called aggressive friendship or uh, something mm. I forget where I've learned that from, um, but I will reach out to my friends um, and kind of force them to meet up with me for a coffee mm -hmm. or a meal or let's go to a spa or let's. Mm -hmm. And it is that kind of just wanting to be face to face with people mm -hmm. that you care about because we so much time passes right in between face-to-face -face, true meaningful contact no one calls anybody anymore um mm -hmm. so i really do not mind reaching out continuously to my friends um even mm -hmm. if they don't reciprocate necessarily because i know they are busy it's not because they don't care about me but kind of mm -hmm. making them meet up with me i use aggressive friendship as a <laughs> as a as yeah. a real kind of um way of life I love that because I, I feel that it's the same for most people I know that um, the intention, the desire is there, but the intentionality is not. Yeah. Right? We want to be more connected, but we pick up our phones to be like, yeah, I'm going to reach out to so-and-so. And then f f cut to 40 minutes later, we've been scrolling Instagram for 40 minutes and what is it? Gotta happened? get rid of your Instagram, Carvel. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and this, my friends, is the weather talk. Every day, we're not we're we're, yeah. we're putting up our own blockers so that we don't. Mm -hmm. By by doing that, it is very one sided, right? There's no interaction there. I mean, maybe you you have a bit, but I I mean, to me, it's a muscle that needs to be practiced. I mm. mean, people sometimes say to me, you know, because I reach out usually to two to three people every day and just let them know I'm thinking of mm -hmm. them, and people are like, "How do you have time?" I'm like, "Well, I have time to brush my teeth." <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, again, I think everybody has to find their own cadence and rhythm, but. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It, it, it becomes almost like a dopamine because, you know, you're look, how good does it feel when out of nowhere you get a note from somebody somewhere on the planet that just says, you know what? You popped in my brain today and I just wanted to say hi mm -hmm. with no no pressure to respond or anything. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then but it, it, it does make me wonder, B, what makes it you can do this with your friends and people you've established long term connections with. What makes it hard to to you bring some of that same energy to the school community? Yeah, I guess because it's you know it's a new it's a new community. A lot of these friends I kind of made when I was yeah. soft softer, right? Yeah. Uh, in yeah. my twenties, um, yeah. completely footloose, fancy free 
But now there's so many more barriers, I feel. Um, but you guys have given me some good entry points. So mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. Susan, do you have any last kind of like words of advice, wisdom, encouragement, either for B or for our listeners or, or for me? I <laughs> Several things. And, but I'll be quick and, yeah. and concise. Uh, we know the Surgeon General and the World Health Organization has basically made proclamations that building connections will actually keep us healthier and mm-hmm. stop loneliness. So just if any, for any mm-hmm. reason, right, if, if we want to be as healthy as if we were running every day and eating kale every day, and you don't want to do either one of those, try connections too. And I will, I will say one of the magical things, if we can get over our inhibitions and our insecurities, One of the most beautiful things is learning more. And if we don't open that Mm. door, if we're afraid of that door or what's on the other side, we're missing out, right? There's always Mm. the chance, yes, it's going to be negative, but there's also just as great a chance that there's going to be magic. Getting over our insecurities is one of the most magical things. And given the way the world feels now, it just... I don't know, seems really important. Like, it's easier than ever for us to stay in our little bubbles and avoid one another. But what do we lose when we do that? Maybe we lose some tiny ability to understand and care for each other. And I'm not saying small talk can bring about world peace, but maybe it can bring just a little more local serenity. And who doesn't need that? Anyway, a big thanks to B for coming to us with this question and to Susan McPherson for all of her wonderful advice. We'll link to her book, The Lost Art of Connecting, in the show notes. Do you have something you want to get better at? Send us a note at howtoitslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001 and we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Joel Myers, our senior editor. The show is produced by Rosemary Belson with Kevin Bendis. Merritt Jacob is our senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Courtney Martin is my co-host. And I'm Carvel Wallace. Thanks for listening. 